turtles are talking to one another and saying the same things that any of us say to one another. Turtle parents chastising their children and giving them direction. They're talking to woo potential mates. And of course, they are protecting their territory. So they're fighting with each other. other. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the study found that when the boys talk, they mostly talk to woo females or to fight with other boys. Hello and welcome to This Week in Animal Protection. We're the Winograds. I'm Nathan. And I'm Jennifer. We'll start with a story from Down Under. Australian doctors and scholars are calling on the government to cover some veterinary medicine expenses through its Medicare system. That's right, because unlike in human medicine where Australians have access to universal health care through Medicare, the cost of veterinary medicine is paid for privately, which means that some animals don't get tested or the care they need. So are there some limitations on the kind of care that is being recommended? Yes. Unfortunately, the authors limited their recommendation to zoonotic diseases. Those are diseases that can be transmitted from animals to humans. And they specifically note that Medicare should cover the costs in those cases due to the implications for human health. So the implication is, therefore, that this is done primarily to protect humans, but it's certainly a step in the right direction, right? Once that door is open for government to start subsidizing the care of animals, good things might flow from that. Right. As history proves, once you provide a service to people, that service gets expanded over time. So it's definitely a good start, but it clearly doesn't go far enough, and it should, not only because universal veterinary care would improve human health, but because obviously the animals deserve it, and it's within our power to provide. Well, this reminds me of the story we reported last week where we said that more Americans are buying health insurance for their animals than ever before. So clearly there is a growing recognition that animals require and should be given proper veterinary care. Right. And as we discussed in that story, the senior pet is the fastest growing segment of the pet population, meaning people are keeping their animals for life. And as the animals get older, their veterinary needs increase, which on the plus side is fueling innovation in the field of geriatric veterinary medicine, but on the downside is causing immense strain in some households. A survey that was done a couple years ago in the United States, for example, found that most Americans could not afford emergency veterinary care if their animals were to need it, and a majority find it even difficult to pay for routine veterinary care. So in Australia, you have the government considering providing and subsidizing some veterinary care for animals. In the United States, you have more people than ever buying insurance for their animals. And our next story also shows how important dogs and cats have become to the American people, because for the first time ever, the U.S. Census American Housing Survey looked at how many households have pets. That's right. Every two years, the U.S. Census looks at different demographics in American households. How many adults live together who are married, who are unmarried? What is their race and and other demographics? For the first time ever, the U.S. Census asks, do you have animals in your home and how many? We know that of the 129,500,000 households in the U.S., 63,775,000 had animals and 62,029,000 did not. 
Right. And actually, I think that the number of households with pets is probably a lot higher because many of those households rented and a good percentage of those live in rental housing where the landlord does not allow pets. So it would not surprise me if some of the renters who have pets but are not supposed to told the census surveyors that they didn't have any animals in the household. So as such, the numbers may reflect an undercounting of the actual number of households that have animals in their home. And the survey also showed that dogs were the most popular pet in America, with the cat being a distant second. Yeah, and it wasn't really even close. So there were 48,963,000 homes that had at least one dog compared to 28,187,000 households that had at least one cat. Not quite half the number of households that had dogs, but definitely significantly less. The survey also showed that the type of home had an impact on whether or not people had animals or not. Well, so it had an impact on whether they had dogs. So those cities with the largest number of single-family homes reported the largest percentage of households with dogs. When you look at communities like New York City, which has a very high apartment rate, Cities like that reported fewer dogs, whereas cats were not affected by the type of home. You mentioned some of the different types of information that the U.S. government gathers in surveys like this. It's certainly information that would be helpful in crafting policy. And I'm wondering, what do you think were some of the messages that came out from the information that was gleaned from this particular survey as to uh, steps we should be taking to make society fairer to both people and the animals they love? Well, I mean, if you look at, for example, the fact that the number of families who bring a dog into their household increases with the type of housing there is. So single family homes means more dogs, more apartments means more cats. Part of that, I imagine, is people's false perception that in order to have a dog, they need more space. But a bigger part of that issue is as the number of apartments increase, the ability of renters to bring dogs into their household declines based on discriminatory policies by landlords. They don't allow pets or in the case of apartments, they might restrict the kind of animal a family could live with. So I think one thing that comes out of this survey is the need to eliminate housing discrimination for people whose families include a dog, cat, or other animal companion. And there's good reason to do that. For one, it would reduce shelter intakes by about 20%. And prior studies found that it would allow an additional 8.75 million animals, so almost 9 million animals, to find new homes, which is roughly eight years worth of killing in the United States. The study also found, unfortunately, that one in four renters lost their home because of a restriction on pet housing. The No Kill Advocacy Center has long called for a ban on housing discrimination by extending existing federal law prohibiting housing discrimination for families with children. It has also written model legislation to do so and a guide to get it introduced. Those guides are available at nokilladvocacycenter.org, and No Kill Advocacy Center attorneys stand ready to help. Okay, Nathan, our next story asks the question, what came first, the talking or the listening? A new study has found that over 100 species of animals we thought were silent do in fact talk to one another, including over 50 species of turtles. Yeah, in fact, study authors said they would be surprised if we don't eventually discover that they in fact all talk 
And the problem, they said, wasn't that they weren't talking. In fact, our pet turtles have been trying to talk to us for a very, very long time. The problem, they said, was we weren't listening. This is a study that was done by scientists. And as you and I have talked about before on podcasts, sometimes the science basically just states the obvious things that those of us who share our lives with animals have known all along. It makes me wonder if you were to share this study with people that actually share homes with a turtle, if they would say, well, of course, the turtle's been talking. I haven't been ignoring them. Just no, nobody ever talks about the fact that turtles talk. Right. It would not surprise me if that's the case, because what the study authors found was that turtles had a varying range of sounds from chirps and clicks to more advanced, complex sounds of different tones. For some inexplicable reason, scientists have assumed that those sounds were accidental and didn't convey any information. So now that we're recording the sounds and actually paying attention, turtles are talking to one another and saying the same things that any of us say to one another. Turtle parents chastising their children and giving them direction. They're talking to woo potential mates. And, of course, they are protecting their territory. So they're fighting with each other. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the study found that when the boys talk, they mostly talk to woo females or to fight with other boys. The study also answered the question, uh, which came first, the talking or the listening? Nathan, what did they find? Well, they found that the ability to make sounds for communication developed from a common ancestor about 407 million years ago, which predates the ability to hear the sounds. So scientists now believe that we actually developed the ability to hear because some of us were making sounds. And speaking of listening, a new study finds that cats, in fact, are listening to us, at least some of us, but only when we speak in a certain way. Specifically, cats respond to baby talk, but only when it comes from their human caregivers and not anybody else. So are you saying, Nathan, that if people were talking to a cat that was not their cat and they were talking baby talk, would the cat be listening? Most of the cats ignored that person. In fact, the cats ignored their own people when they were using what's called adult-directed speech. So if I talk to Ziggy or Adam, our cats, in the voice I'm using now, they would probably ignore me. They would only respond if I used a high-pitched baby sound to them. Whereas if a stranger came in and tried to talk to them in baby talk, most of the cats, at least in this study, ignored those people as well. I wonder if that means that the cats were actually responding more to a particular signal given off by the person as opposed to the baby talk itself. Like if they had talked to their cat in a really low voice all the time and that was the way that they were communicating with their cat, if their cat would have become accustomed to that, those are the sounds that signal that they're paying attention to me and communicating with me. It's a great question and the answer is we don't know. And the reason we don't know is because as we talk about every time we refer to these cat studies, so few studies are done. And when they are done, most of the cats end up getting bored and quitting the study. So it's kind of hard to draw these sweeping conclusions the way scientists can with dogs because dogs are so eager to please that they participate in the study if they're simply paid attention to. Whereas in this study, as most cat studies, a lot of the cats just simply got bored and <laughs> quit. participating. Correct. But one takeaway from the study is that they do bond with their person and they do listen when their person speaks. 
But it actually works both ways because they've done studies, observational studies, and found that when cats are together, cats in general are almost always silent. And they rarely talk to one another, but they talk to people. And the reason they talk to people is because we talk back. So we respond to meows and chirps and little sounds. That's that they true. Make if if they... a cat meows at us, like when we come in the room or whatever, we'll definitely respond to them. And it just reminds me of our cat, Annie. Whenever you would walk into a room and Annie was She would there, greet you. Yeah. Well, if you got there first, she would say, hi, Annie. And she would always meow back. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this 15-minute sample of This Week in Animal Protection. The entirety of this week's news and our main discussion are available only to subscribers. If you want to listen to this podcast and future episodes in their entirety, please subscribe at nathanwinograd.substack.com.